right. Once you notice verse 8 of 1 Peter 5, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And if we were to go through this chapter, and if you look at the context of it, you'll see very clearly that Peter is talking to saved people here. He's telling them to cast all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And he's telling Christians, he's telling saved people to be sober, to be vigilant. Why? So you don't get devoured. Because it's possible that even if you're saved, that Satan can get you. And obviously he's not going to get your soul. You're not going to go to hell. But Satan literally, even if you're saved here today, he could devour you, basically making you ineffective as a Christian. You're not going to be getting anybody saved. You're not going to be doing anything for God. He can ruin your testimony. He can ruin your life. And, you know, and I'm thankful our souls are secure. But that doesn't mean our testimony is secure. It doesn't mean our life is secure and, uh, you know, just rewards in heaven. Those things are not secure for us as a Christian. So we've always got to be uh, watching. We've always got to be sober. We've got to be vigilant in all these things. We've got to resist them. He says, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Now, having said all that, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time exegeting 1 Peter chapter 5. But will we all agree that it's possible that Satan can devour a Christian. Meaning, not that he's going to get their soul and they're going to go to hell, but meaning he can ruin their life. He can ruin their testimony, make them ineffective for the cause of Christ. I think we all would agree with that. Now, so here's the thing. Why are we so surprised when it actually happens? You know, why? Because I'm saddened by how many people these days use the fact that, you know, they're heroes in the faith that some preacher or pastor that they had, that they fell, they used that as an excuse to walk away from the things of God or to declare Christianity false and fake. But the truth is, if you see that happen, it doesn't prove Christianity fake because Christianity never said people are never going to fall. In fact, it said, be very careful. Satan's going to try to devour you. Satan's walking about seeking who he may devour. And so when we see people fall, we should just understand, man, that's another victim of Satan right there. Now, I'm not preaching on how to keep from getting devoured. I've preached sermons before on whom he may devour because I don't think Satan can just get anyone. I think we've got, I think we open up doors. We give him opportunities. We can give place to the devil. You know, if, if uh, we get involved in certain sin, those things are going to happen. But either way, Satan is often successful in his mission to devour people. And the sad reality for us Christians is that Let's just mark it down and get it in our head. I'm not trying to get you all to be pessimists and doom and gloomy tonight, but we are going to see good people fall. You know, and while Satan can never get the soul, he can definitely ruin the life and testimony. And you know what? God may even let them be destroyed physically. Because we see in 1 Corinthians 5, 5, he says, talking about the man who had, had his father's wife, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of of the Lord Jesus. And if I wanted to, I could get up here tonight and I could start telling stories and talking about, you know, examples of people that I've seen Satan devour. And I, I know a lot of the war stories that I've heard other preachers tell. And I know even ones from my own personal life, things I've seen. And lately, I think it's hitting 10 years as a pastor. I've been feeling like an old preacher for the last week too. And I've been thinking a lot about just all the things I've seen. And I, I was sitting up here thinking too, I think next month, yeah, it'll, it'll be next month when officially I've been like in the ministry with some kind of title or position for 21 years. 20 years. I'm too young to have done something for 20 years. You know, that's what I like to tell myself. 
But but either way, I'm feeling like that old preacher today, and just I don't even need my Bible more. I'm just gonna get up and tell you all what I know, and uh, go stroll down memory lane. And all. I, I could do that in this sermon. I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna try to preach the Bible. But it is a very painful thing to see people that you thought were godly or that you looked up to fall. And again, often people use that as an excuse to quit serving God. But you know, we just need to accept the reality. This kind of thing is going to happen. And if you are in this church for any length of time, you are going to see people fall. You're going to see people that you love, people that you respected, that you cared about. They're going to walk away from the things of God. They might get into deep sin. And it's, it's a sad reality. And, you know, because sometimes it's a case of they went out from us because they were not of us. But sometimes it was a, somebody who was of us and Satan devoured them. Satan got them. You know, and... That's just, that's just the reality. And so when we know, when the Bible has warned us about this, when the Bible has told us to be sober and to be vigilant because of this, why would we let that destroy our faith? And I'm afraid sometimes it's because our faith is often in people instead of God. And if our faith is in God, if we believe the Bible, then we really shouldn't be thrown for a loop at all when this kind of thing happens. But what I want to talk about tonight, though, is I want to talk about doing right in spite of bad examples because, you know, thank God for the good examples. You know, we could talk about that tonight. I could talk a lot about good examples I've had in my life, but I want us to look at examples in the Bible of just horrible examples. People who, and people who did right in spite of bad examples. All of the excuses that Christians commonly use today for why they quit serving God or why they messed up or whatever, we can see examples in the Bible of people in similar situations, sometimes even more difficult situations, where they did right anyway, and in spite of bad mentors. And look what it says in Psalms chapter 91 before we get into some of these examples. I want to read this passage. Psalms 91 verse 7 says, A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And what he's talking about here is just showing how you're going to see bad things happen. You're going to see a thousand fall. You're going to see all these things go down that are bad. But he's saying it's not going to come nigh to you. Why? Because the Lord is your refuge. And what we've got to learn to do as Christians, what you need to learn to do right now is to find comfort in the fact that you are with God instead of comfort in the fact that you are with people. Now, thank God for a church where we can come together and we can get around people who are like us. Anybody ever feel like a weirdo being out in the world today? I mean, we, I think we feel it more and more. Just today, you can feel like a weirdo going to the store without a mask on. You know, you're like the oddball there. But, you know, don't we love getting around people of like faith? Because then we don't have to feel weird, you know? We can, and, and so we get comfort in that. And you know what? That's not wrong. But you, what you've got to understand, though, is it's more important that we know how to find comfort and security with God. Because people mess up. And there's a lot of preachers out there today that are preaching the truth on things because they know they've got these other great preachers standing with them. 
That's why you've got a lot of preachers out. A lot of the preachers that are preaching things today, you know, they're going to get up. A lot of the conferences you go to and probably some of the ones we're going to go to, one of the things that you're going to hear, all right, let me just do a prophecy for you. If you go to a Baptist conference, this is what's going to happen when they get up. They're going to you know, try to get everybody to stick to the old paths, blah, blah, blah. You all know that. We're all for that. But then they start name dropping the old guys. We're standing with them. We're standing with the greats. We're standing with Jack Hiles, Oliver B. Green, Lester Roloff. We're, we're, stand, we're standing with all of them. Why are they doing that? So we don't have to feel weird. So we don't have to feel alone because that's how, that's how you often feel. But the problem is, you start looking at all those guys, you can find faults in every one of them, and people are doing that all the time. You know, and either way, we're supposed to get our refuge in the Lord. That's where we're supposed to be getting it. And the way we're going to do that, the best way to do it, is to get up and show people, this is why we believe what we believe, this is what the Bible says, this is what God thinks. You know, that's where we should find that refuge. And, uh, I, you know, we could preach a whole message just on that. But I want to I go to these examples because either way, while I'm glad you find comfort in getting around people of like faith, you should be fine without them. You should be fine by yourself. Because if you have God with you, then you're not by yourself, are you? And I, I want to say that too, because just in case a thousand fall at your right hand, just in case... Liberty Baptist Church ever goes liberal and compromises in case that ever happens because I died and wasn't here to stop it because it's you know, not going to happen on my watch, right? You know, but, but if that ever happens, you know, hopefully there'll be somebody in here that still gets through this. That'll still be doing the right thing. And if, if anybody does make it through, it's going to be because they've learned to make the Lord their refuge rather than people. And you better work on that because you are going to experience some of these things you know, and as somebody who's been in the ministry now for a long time and pastoring for over a decade, you know, I can tell you, I mean, this is just a fact. Right? This is what's going to happen. And so let's look at some of these examples. So turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, one great example of someone who did right in spite of a bad example was David when it came to King Saul. David loved King Saul. David respected King Saul. King Saul was a great man at one time, wasn't he? I mean, he had the Spirit of God. He did great things for God. We see Saul, that Saul was, I mean, he was it. He was God's anointed. He was the king of God's people. But you know what? Saul messed up later. I mean, Saul. we know the story. We're not going to go through the entire story of Saul, but we know that Saul messed up bad. We know Saul died on the battlefield the day after going and seeing a witch. That's not a good way to end things. But that was somebody that David loved. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19, after David finds out about Saul dying, and we're not going to go through all the story, but look at what David said in verse 19. He says, The beauty of Israel is slain upon thy high places. How are the mighty fallen? And David here, he's just, he's sad, he's brokenhearted. I mean, he... If I was David, I'd have been glad Saul's gone. It's like, man, this guy's been trying to kill me for a long time. But no, David loved Saul. David hated the fact. David was brokenhearted over the fact that Saul hated him because David loved Saul. David, he remembered what Saul used to be. And so when Saul is doing all these things, then when and Saul gets in trouble with God and he falls, David he isn't glad over this. David is sorrowful over this. But you know what? David... Didn't give up, did he? You know, think about this too. David, when he first meets Saul, it was when he was a young boy because they needed somebody to play a harp for him to help drive that evil spirit from Saul. And Saul loved David at first. You know, Saul, uh, David ended up being the one to kill Goliath. 
And so David had that good relationship with Saul until Saul hears that song about David where David is slain, or Saul is slain his thousands, David is ten thousands. And this man who David admired, loved, and respected, somebody who David understood was God's anointed, David watched Saul slowly lose, lose his mind, didn't he? David even experienced Saul trying to kill him. David uh, saw, and here's another thing too, turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 24, because this is something I think that probably all of us in here can relate to. We've seen something like this, and if you have not seen this, I promise if you stay in this thing for any length of time, you will see this. But in, And this is, I think, probably one of the most frustrating things for people to see. This is something that often makes people just kind of give up and think, you know, there's just no point to this. This is a discouraging thing to see. But in First Samuel 24, 16, it says, And it came to pass when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. This was after David cut off Saul's skirt in the cave. David could have killed him while Saul was out trying to kill him. But David didn't want to do it. He didn't want to touch the Lord's anointed. And so David reveals to Saul, I had you. I could have killed you. But I didn't do it. And so now Saul is speaking here. And then he says, and he said to David, thou art more righteous than I. Well, that sounds pretty good. It sounds like Saul is repentant right here, doesn't it? And you know what? Saul was repentant right here. Okay? I believe Saul was telling the truth here. Saul was truly sorry for what he had done. For thou hast rewarded me good, whereas I have rewarded thee evil. It's confession time here. He's getting it right. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well with me, for as much as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killedst me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done me this day. David, I hope good things happen to you because you spared my life today. I mean, this is like a camp meeting here. This is like when the guy comes forward to the altar to get right. The guy we've been praying for, man, we've been praying the Lord will work on his heart. We've been praying that the Lord would turn him around. We've been praying that the Lord would help this man with his rebellion. We finally came to the altar and he got it right today. And man, he got there and he prayed. He confessed his sin to the church. He was weeping. He was crying. Glory to God. But then a few months later, they're right back to doing the same thing again. Now here's the thing. Was it real? Was it not real? It was, it was real. I believe it was real. But it just it didn't last. You know why? Because people are just weak. Sometimes people mess up and then they mess up again. David saw this with Saul. It says, And now, behold, I know well that thou, sh that, uh, thou shalt surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Saul knew, hey, David, I, I know I'm going to lose the kingdom. That's one of the reasons Saul hated David so much. He was threatened by the fact. He knew that God was going to give the kingdom to David. And Saul, he, he admits it. It's going to be yours, David. But then he says, Swear now. Therefore unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me and thou wilt not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto Saul and Saul went home, but David and his men got them up to the hold. So why didn't David and his men end up going with Saul now? I mean, Saul's confessed. Saul's told David, I know the kingdom's going to be yours. You're more righteous than I am. But you know what? Saul didn't go with David. You know why? Because while Saul's heart was in the right place at this moment, it wasn't going to stay there. And we see in chapter 27, it says, And David said in his heart, this is after this event with Saul, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul, 
There is nothing better for me than I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. And Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more on the coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. So, and, uh, and then in verse 4, it says, And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath, and he sought no more again for him. You know why? Because Saul was looking for David again, ready to kill him again. Remember, Saul's a saved man. And Saul is somebody who saved, who messed up, who got right, who confessed what he did, and you know what he did? He went and did the same thing again. He went and did the same thing again. I mean, sometimes you do, you just wonder, can people ever change? And I remember, you know, you're going to the same church for 23 years. I saw people just get things right over and over and over again. And it used to just frustrate me greatly. I remember as a 12-year-old boy watching a guy get up in church, you know, apologizing to the church for getting out of church and getting away from God and going back to drinking and going back to doing all these things. And he's like, I, I, I'm getting that right. I'm done doing that. I'm getting back in church. And I, I'm, never, I'm never getting out of it again. And I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, he is. I remember I, remember I had that. It's, it's a 12-year-old. I was like, he's going to do it again. He always does it. And you know what? He did. He did. Many times over the years. He was, just, he was always kind of in and out, in and out. Just, just back and forth. And when you see that kind of thing, people often get a real cynical attitude and they think, you know, does anybody, can anybody even change? Is, it, is, any of it, is any of this real for anybody? Are we, all just, are we all just faking this thing? But folks, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but again, remember, we still have this sinful flesh. That sinful flesh isn't going to go away until the rapture. And we've got to understand that any... At any point in our life, if we quit being sober and vigilant, our adversary, the devil, might end up devouring us. So we've just got to we've got to just get this in our head. And it is it's very because it's a discouraging thing when you believe someone's repentant and it turned out to be fake or just that it didn't last. And I think that's probably it most of the time it just didn't last. I think Saul meant it when he was confessing to David. But I think David looked at Saul and said, you're going to change your mind. That's what I believe is going to end. Saul changed his mind. And we do. We, we all want to believe people can change, but the fact is people rarely do. It's, it's a, you know, it happens, but a lot of times people just, they keep having the same problems and it's frustrating. And you know, David, it's amazing that he still wanted to serve God and that he was a good king for as long as he was when you consider the mentor he had. You know, he could have easily despaired of his life. But you know what? We read many of the Psalms that he wrote during that time. And you know what we see David doing? We just see him trusting in the Lord. You look at a lot of the Psalms. There's a lot of passages we could go to about David just making the Lord his refuge, about resting in the Lord, about trusting in the Lord. You know when he wrote a lot of those things? When Saul was chasing him. Because David probably felt really alone during those times when Saul's going after him, even when Absalom later is going after him and people in his kingdom are turning against him, David often found himself in situations where he was very alone. But you know what he would do when that kind of thing happened? He'd just go running to God. He would get just as close to God as he could. And you're going to have to learn how to do that. There is going to be times in your life where people that you love, people that you respect, that you thought the world of, they're going to mess up. They're going to, they're going to fall. And you know what? Don't run away from God. Just run closer to Him. So, you know what? I'm just going to start paying a little more attention to God than I am people. You know, it's a lot easier to pay attention to people because they're flesh and blood. They're right there in front of you. It doesn't take faith. I don't have to have faith to have a relationship. 
with any of you. I just need to spend time, just need to talk, all those things. But when it comes to God, these things do require faith. And unfortunately, too many people today, I mean, you, you see it just knocking on doors. I think somebody mentioned it today. Just when you're on knocking on doors, one of the reasons a lot of people don't want to go to church, they've had too many bad experiences with people in church. What, what, what happened? They saw people fall. They saw Satan devour people. It's, it's going to happen. We've been warned. So another example. Now, David, unfortunately, while we do see him as a great king, and, and here's another thing you got to understand too. Well, let me briefly touch on this. You can, you know, many great people have short periods of time in their life where they do some pretty bad things. Where they, uh, and, and uh, understand if somebody has a ministry right, of doing you know, 20, 30 years, doing great things for God, and then they have one bad year, that doesn't take away the 20 or 30 years of good things that it does it. But everybody's going to remember that one bad year, aren't they? And we've got to understand that some of the greatest people in the Bible had periods of time where they didn't do very good, including David. Okay? And we know that with David... While David, I mean, to, to see how positive the Bible speaks of David is really amazing sometimes. And it's a reminder of just how forgiving God is. Because David did some pretty bad stuff. But, it, but at the same time, you know, I don't want you to think I'm like contradicting myself now because we use David as a good example, but now we're using him as a bad example. Good. Because sometimes people have periods of time where they do great and then mess up. But uh, let's look at the story between Joab and David. Okay, Now... I personally, you know, I sympathize with Joab. Okay? That, that's just what I do when I read about him. I think his story is a sad story. But remember, David is the sweet psalmist of Israel. I mean, he was somebody that he was a man after God's own heart. So keep that in mind. But Joab, who was a close servant of David, he saw some pretty bad stuff, didn't he? Let's look at some things that Joab saw. So first off, turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now, this is after David has committed that sin with Bathsheba, after he finds out she's pregnant. David finds, you know, decides, all right, I've got to do something to cover up my sin that I've done. I'm going to get Uriah drunk. And it says in 2 Samuel 11:14, 14, it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah because Uriah didn't do what David wanted him to do when he got drunk. And so he sends Uriah with a letter that's written to Joab. And Uriah's carrying it. And it says, and he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. Now, now let's, all right, I'm going to get everybody on my side with Joab tonight. All right. So think about Joab. He was one of David's mighty men. Joab is just a loyal follower of David. It's his job to listen to the king. Joab gets this note saying, do a dumb battle plan to get Uriah killed. And you know what? Joab did it. Joab did what David told him to do. This was a very bad thing, but it was what David told him to do. And you know what? God didn't credit Joab for it. He credited David for it. Okay? So now... Think about that in Joab's mind. You're going to remember that. This is my king. This is what he did. And he know, he, I don't, and I don't know how much 
Joab knew, because he was involved too in, in a lot of things with David about Bathsheba and everything. I don't know how much Joab knew, but everybody found out about that sin with Bathsheba. And Joab probably, you know, at some point, if he didn't already know, he knew. Now, I know why David wanted Uriah dead. He was trying to hide something. This was very wicked. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Notice this story. It says, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab, the captain of the host which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people. So David's telling Joab to go do this thing. And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto thee the people, how many soever they be an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my Lord the king may see it. But why doth my Lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Now let me ask you, who was right in this situation? Joab was right. But David's word prevailed. Why? Because David outranked Joab. And so it says, uh, And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the prince of the king to number the people of Israel. It was Joab that went and did the thing for David that Joab knew was wrong. Joab is not doing something that he knows is going to be bad for the kingdom, something that he knows is going to displease God, but he did it. Why? Because he was loyal to David, because he was obedient to David the king. Now, and then, jump down to verse 9. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king, and there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men that drew sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And David's heart smote him after he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly uh, in that I have done. And now I beseech you, O Lord, take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And you know what? Joab had to be standing there saying, I told him. <laughs> I told him not to do it. But he went and did it anyway. And you know what happened? God sent that destroying angel and thousands of people died in Israel that day because of what David did. And you know what? Joab had to be standing there the whole time when all those people are dying. He knows why it's happening. He knows what God's doing. Now, folks, at, at this point, so I, you know, I'd like to think I'd have probably quit as his general after the thing with Uriah. I'd like to think that, you know, I probably would have started having negative feelings towards David, at least after this sin right here of numbering the people, something upset God very much. But you know, all so Joab has seen all these things. And then, in 2 Kings chapter 1, turn over there. Now, you all know the story here. David is getting old. David is getting close to death. And David has not named the next king. David has not let everyone know who it is. It was supposed to be Solomon. You know, David knew it was supposed to be Solomon. God had revealed that to him. Nathan the prophet knew it was supposed to be Solomon. His wife Bathsheba knew it was supposed to be Solomon. But no, he hasn't said anything. He hasn't done anything about it. Because David just was kind of a do-nothing parent when it came to his family. We see that's how he operated with his family. He was just kind of a do-nothing dad. Unfortunately, his kids were terrible. And so Adonijah, his son, then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not displeased him at any time and saying, Why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. And he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. 
Now, I'm not gonna, I don't know for sure, and I'm not really going to worry about debating whether or not it was right or wrong for Joab to follow after Adonijah. Because here's the problem. Did Joab know that it was supposed to be Solomon? I mean, and you here you have Adonijah saying, I'm the next king, and David's not doing anything about it. So wouldn't you just assume it's probably okay? I mean, if, my chi- if you saw my child doing something really bad, but I'm watching it and not doing anything about it, you would just assume, well, he must be okay with it. He must be okay with his behavior if he's not doing anything about it. So, I don't know that Joab was necessarily wrong in following Adonijah in this situation. But, you know, either way, it was kind of seen as almost a betrayal of David. And we're not going to go through that whole story. But, but either way, this turned out to be a big mess for Israel. And it wasn't just Adonijah's fault. It was David's fault because he did nothing. And Joab kind of got stuck in the middle in this bad situation. So Joab is somebody that I see a guy who was just loyal to David, just did everything David was wanted him to do, but he had made one mistake years before. Now turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 3. 2 Samuel chapter 3. Because I might very well be wrong about this. If somebody wants to share some detail with me, I'm missing. That's fine. But I don't particularly care for what how things went down for Joab. Now, actually, so keep your finger in 2 Samuel 3. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 1. So, in verse... 1 Kings chapter 2, I'm sorry. Verse 28 says, Then tidings came to Joab, for Joab had turned after Adonijah, though he turned not after Absalom. So, you know, Joab was faithful to David with Absalom uprising, but not with Adonijah. He followed after him. But again, David didn't say anything. Okay, I'm making excuses for Joab, but I don't care. I like him. It says, Joab fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord and caught hold on the horns of the altar. And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord, and behold, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go fall upon him. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said unto him, Do as he hath said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed for me from the house of my father. Now, notice the reason that they killed Joab, it was not because of him following Adonijah, because again, I don't think that was worthy of death. But I think Solomon was probably bent out of shape because, you know, Adonijah wanted to be the king when he was supposed to be the king. So Solomon's been out of shape. So he doesn't say kill him for following after Adonijah. He said kill him to get rid of the innocent blood which Joab shed for me from the house of my father. And the Lord shall return his blood upon his own head who fell upon two men more righteous and better than he and slew them with the sword. My father David, not knowing thereof, to wit, Abner the son of Ner, captain of the host of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, captain of the host of Judah, their blood shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of his seed forever. But upon David, upon his seed, and upon his house, and upon his throne, shall there be peace forever from the Lord. Now, what was this story? Well, we don't have time to read through all of it, but go back to... So it's 2 Samuel chapter 3. 
It says, And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him there under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Asahel, his brother. So Abner was somebody who at this time was working with David, was helping David, but Joab hated him because he killed his brother. Okay. Now, if somebody kills your brother, you want vengeance, right? You know, you, you want to kill him back. He had been wanting to get him and didn't have an opportunity. But now there's kind of an alliance with David. And so it makes David look really bad when Joab's killing him like this. But David did. He had, or Joab had a personal vendetta against this guy. And so he killed him. Now, David had nothing to do with this. David didn't know about it. But David afterward, when he heard of it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house and let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue or there's a leper that leaneth on a staff or that falleth in the sword or that lacketh bread. And Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner because he had slain their brother Asahel and Gibeon in the battle. So here's the thing. Why didn't David just take care of Joab way back then? You know why? I think it was because Joab was just too valuable of a guy. He was too valuable of a soldier. It was wrong what he did in this situation, but David's like, man, I don't want to get rid of one of my best warriors. And so he ends up using him all these years. Joab's loyal to him. Joab helps him, even though Joab was a voice for good when David's trying to do the wrong thing. But then when it finally came down to it, at the end, he makes a mistake, falling at Niger, probably not something he should have done. And then they decide, you know what? Now you die for what you did way back then. Now, folks, you see why I feel sorry for Joab? And let me tell you something. There's people out there who have served the Lord, who have served in their churches, who have served their pastors only to be treated like garbage, only to be thrown under the bus only to be seen as collateral damage. And you know what? That'll make a person want to walk away from the things of God. People have been through things like that, but you know what? You've got to just do the right thing anyway. And it's going to happen. It's going to happen where people turn on you. Where, uh, and that often happens too, where things happen in the church, there's some kind of terrible thing that takes place, and often everybody ends up siding with the pastor. You know, we talked about a while back when you have abuse victims in the church. Often people think, ah, it was just some kid that got abused. You know, we don't want to lose our pastor. And so what do they do? They throw the kid under the bus. Oh, they're just trying to get money from the church. They're just trying to get whatever. You know, who cares about them? Let's get rid of them. Let's get them out of the church. And, you know, and we wonder why people like that end up turning on the church. We wonder why people like that walk away from the things of God. And you know what? I wish I could stand here today and tell you if you you serve the Lord, if you do the right thing, you're never going to suffer in a church. Folks, I can't promise you that. It's happened to too many people. You know why? Because people mess up. Satan devours people. Satan devours churches. Satan devours pastors sometimes. And so I'm not being a doom and gloomer in this message tonight, but I'm just telling you, we better be ready and be prepared to see people fall and to see some really bad things happen amongst God's people. But when it does, we just got... We just got to motivate, get that to motivate us to get even closer to God because it's going to happen. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 25. Let's look at another great example of someone I see. And this is Abigail who ended up becoming the wife of David. It says 
in verse 3, it says, And the name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife Abigail, and she was a woman of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. But the man was churlish and evil in his doings, and he was of the house of Caleb. And we don't have time to go through all of Nabal's story either, but you all know the story. David and his men, they came and they needed some help from Nabal. They had the power. They had the ability. They could have just gotten what they wanted from Nabal. But you know what? They did the right thing. They did the polite thing. They were courteous and they asked him for it. They wanted him to do it voluntarily. And Nabal, just because he was an evil, cruel man, he was just like, you know, who is David? Who is this son of Jesse? You know what? This is probably just another rebel. You know what? I'm not helping him. And, and you all remember the story? David found out about it. He got really mad. And he's like, you know what? Nabal's going to die. This, we should have just went. Because this, this was humiliating to David. David goes and just being kind. He's being humble and just offers him goodwill and kindness. Nabal ends up humiliating him in front of his men. And you know what he, David did? He's like, all right, he's going to pay now. He's going to pay, and which would have been the wrong thing for David to do. And you know the story, Abigail, she ends up coming to David, and she ends up helping him anyway. She ends up helping David, and then David realized, man, I was about to make a big mistake. It would have been wrong for me to do that. It would have been wrong for me to go and kill Nabal. God took care of us anyway. And then you see uh, Nabal ends up finding out what his wife did, and he just turned to stone pretty much, and he died. The Lord killed him. God smote him. And let me just mark that verse down too for people ask all the time, you know, women are always asking, what if my husband's a reprobate? Be like Abigail. You know, be like Abigail. Maybe God will kill him for you. You know, that, uh, that, that's what I always hope uh, will happen in situations like that. But, but think about this. What Abigail's actions that she did too, Understand this, because people use this as an excuse, you know, be disobedient to your husband, all that kind of stuff. But Abigail's actions were not against her husband. They were actually for her husband. Because if she's a woman of beautiful countenance, and when the men are coming, you know, they're probably going to leave her and kill her husband. So that's to her benefit, you know, when you stop and think about it. But she didn't do that. Her going to David, approaching David and helping them saved her husband's life. You know what that was called? That was called doing the right thing. She just did the right thing. Do the right thing. You know, no matter who you're married to. Um, and you know what God did? God killed her husband and God gave her a better husband. She ended up, ended up marrying David. She had kids by David. And it can be a very difficult thing when someone who is your authority is doing wrong. But you know what? All you can do is just make sure you're doing what you can do. That's right. You, unfortunately, we can't help what people in authority over us are doing. I wish, you know, we could do a little more about what Pritzker's doing in our state with all the abortions and things. You know, sometimes we just don't have the power to do it. You know, we can do the right thing. You know, we can speak the truth about abortion. We can make sure we don't get an abortion. We can try to talk some people out of that kind of thing. You know, we can't always help what our leaders are doing, but we can do the right thing. We can't, we can't just use the fact that our government's evil is an excuse to just throw up our hands and then us quit doing good. No, we can keep doing good. And, you know, and it's a lot harder when it's closer to you, if it's right in your home, 
you know, if you're a child and you have evil parents or if you're a wife and you have an evil husband or vice versa, that is a really hard thing to do. But you know what you can do? Even though you're in a situation like that, you, you can still do the right thing. You can do the right thing and you can pray that God deals with whoever it is that's in your authority and gets them right. But either way, Abigail did the right thing and God bless and that's all you can do. Uh, another example we can look at is Joshua. Joshua and Moses. Now, Joshua was very close to Moses. Joshua saw Moses get angry, break the tables of stone. Joshua was there for that. Joshua was there when Moses smote the rock. You know, Joshua, he was somebody who saw Moses at his best. He saw him at his worst. But you know what we see, and we're not going to take time to read all the stories on this, but Joshua... You know what he did? He focused on the good that he saw Moses do. Remember in Joshua 8, we went through that a few weeks ago, and that story where Joshua held up the spear and the people prevailed. And it said it's a reminder of when Moses lifted up his hands and the people prevailed. We see Joshua doing a lot of the same great things that Moses did. We see waters parting for Joshua too, don't we? We saw battles won under Moses. We saw even more with Joshua. I mean, the miracles that took place with Moses were many, but the miracles that took place with Joshua were even better. And you know what we don't see with Joshua? We don't see Joshua doing any of the bad things that Moses did. We don't see Joshua really doing any bad things except maybe being a little dramatic when they lost that one battle and God had to tell him to get up, act like a man pretty much. that's, That's about it with Joshua and we do, we see so many of the good things that we saw with Moses. We see that with Joshua and, and then some. But you know what we don't see? We don't see the bad things. Now, most of the time, whenever you see bad things in a leader, their follower, you see it, you know, times five. You know, that's how it usually goes. You know, like people said this a lot and it's true. But, you know, what you do in moderation as a parent, your children will probably do in excess. That's true many times. Thank God it's not always the case, but that often is a very true thing. But the thing is, it doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to do the bad things. Somebody that you've had as a mentor in your life or a hero in your life that has been a good influence, that's been good inspiration, you know what you're able to do? You're able to take the good and leave out the bad. You can do that. And you know what? There's a lot of great people from the past, some of the great preachers from the past, that, yes, there's some bad stories out there that everybody likes to talk about, but, you know, I think it's okay for us to just focus on the good. You know, let's look at some of the good things. Let's look at the good things that they did. But at the end of the day, too, it's not all about them either, is it? But I think especially when it comes to people in your life, You've got to learn to do that, and Joshua did that. Even though we had some bad examples, we don't see Joshua following any of those things. Any bad thing we see with Moses, and we see a few bad things with Moses, we don't see it with Joshua. But we do see many of the good things that we saw with Moses, we see them amplified with Joshua, and I think that's a good lesson for all of us that we can do that. And we could go on and on with examples, but how about Jesus' disciples? They saw Judas betray Jesus. I mean, think about how how they felt. Three years, they walked around with that man. Three years, they worked with that guy, only to find out 
he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver and then went out and hung himself. You don't think the disciples ever thought about that every now and then? I'm sure that came up in their mind. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have had pastors that have done horrible things and then went out and killed themselves. You know, I know of several pastors who have committed suicide. And most of them, I, one I know of, he was on some medication, I think just made him crazy. But most of the ones I know about got busted in some kind of scandal. And then they went and killed themselves. I've known, I've known of a couple of preachers too who got busted in scandals and then just conveniently went and died. Uh, you know, and I think it was just, you know, got to him physically. Maybe God killed him, you know. But, but either way, you know, you know, e- either way to see something like that, you know, that's got to be tough on people who followed them, people who respected them. To have that in their memory, you know, e- and I know we all consider ourselves followers of Christ and not followers of men, but that would be a, a tough pill for any of us to swallow. Well, the disciples had to do all of that with Judas. I mean, think about this too. We see them with Peter. Peter denied Christ three times. But yet, it's just 50 days later, at the Feast of Pentecost, they're standing with Peter while he's preaching and seeing a great multitude of people saved. You know what they did? They got over it. They got past it. You know what they did? They let the guy make a mistake. You know, we're allowed to do that. We're allowed to let people make a mistake. We're not not justifying it. We're not condoning it. But, you know, we can can allow somebody, you know, to have a little bit of baggage. I'm not talking about a pervert and molester and things like that. I'm not talking about somebody who committed some sin that's worthy of death. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying we should ever cover up for some kind of perversion in the church. But, But at the same time, sometimes we get kind of nitpicky with people, don't we? And we just need to understand that Satan wants to get people. And remember what Jesus told Peter? He, remember what he said? He said, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But he said, I have prayed for thee, that thy strength would fail not. And you know, Peter, he, did, he messed up, but he had, a, he had Satan going after him. And we need to just understand that right now, that Satan is looking to see whom he may devour. Satan wants to get the people in this church. Satan wants to get the people in your life that you love and that you look up to. And you've got to understand, there's going to be times he is going to succeed. When he, now, when he succeeds, I believe it's because if Satan gets me tomorrow, I don't believe it will be just because I'm just an innocent victim of Satan. If Satan gets me tomorrow, it's probably because I started messing with something. I started doing something I shouldn't have done and Satan got me. That doesn't take away the good that I did before. That was bad. I mean, you all should be sad about that, but you should also understand that kind of thing is going to happen and you've got to keep going forward for God. You've got to keep doing the right thing. And I, and I think Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says it best. says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's that cloud of witnesses? That's those people in Hebrews chapter 11, all those greats that we saw. All these people who showed great faith. While we've got some bad witnesses out there, we've got some good witnesses out there too. We've got some people that have proved faithfulness. We've got people that have proved themselves. They love the Lord. And we have those witnesses. So he says, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You know what? You know why some people get destroyed? 
Because Jesus is not the author and finisher of their faith. It's some preacher. It's some other Christian. It's somebody in the church. They're the author and finisher of their faith. And when they mess up, they're done. But you know what? While we can all tell stories of failures in the church, when it comes to Jesus, it says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Some of us, we can't even endure being a Baptist, which isn't that hard. Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So while we've all got bad examples that we could all talk about and use as an excuse, we've got a really good example that we're supposed to be looking at, and that's Jesus Christ. And said, so I say all this because, and I don't, I haven't done anything that I'm trying to prep you all for. All right? I'm not in trouble. I don't know anybody that's about to get in trouble, especially in this church. I don't know of anybody that we're about to find out a bunch of stuff on. I, I, I got nothing, but this is just something I've been, I've been seeing so many people out there talking about walking away from church, walking away from the things of God because of something somebody did. And you know, as I got to, you know, as I got to think about that, I was like, you know what? That could be any of us. That could happen at any time. And so we've just got to make sure we get our priorities right in these things and focus on Jesus. So let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray this message was a help. I pray you'll, uh, Lord, put a hedge of protection around the church, around the people in this church. And I pray you'll help us to stay in it. And I pray you'll protect us from Satan. Help us always to remember that uh, he's more powerful than we are, but he's not more powerful than you. And so I pray that we will stay as close to you as we possibly can. In your name we pray. Amen.